Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hello there. Today, we've got an awesome episode. We've got Sean Clements, who's a financial advisor at North of the River, and Brett Wright, who's a director and financial planner at Business Funding and Planning and a whole bunch of other businesses. Um, And today, we have a really good, robust discussion around the different pricing models or fee models for risk insurance advice. So, Brett does 100% commission-only advice. Sean predominantly is a fee-for-service on insurance advice and myself, I'm a hybrid model. So, we charge a small fee and um, get paid a commission. So, it was a really good robust discussion about the different charging models and, and you know the way of thinking about charging. So, if you've ever thought about moving to a fee-for-service or moving to commission only or how that fits into your business, I reckon you'll get heaps of value out of this episode. But before we get started, we can't do this podcast without the help of Zurich and OnePath. So, I just want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and OnePath are your partners in life and also proud supporters of this My Risk Advisor podcast. All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. So, let's kick this discussion off about pricing and insurance-only advice with yourself, Brett. So, help us understand your business. Your business model is the first time I've ever heard of it. And so, yeah, I'd love to understand a bit more about it. <laughs> thanks, Phil. Um, yeah, so, we're, we're risk-only advisors. Um, we aren't fee-for-service. We uh, only, uh, we're commission-only, essentially. The heritage of our business started out 30 years ago with my old man. He you know, had a had a full service sort of financial planning, investments, retirement, suit, um, and insurance. Um, and we started specialising uh, in insurance roughly about 15 years ago. So we went risk only 15 years ago because it's what we loved, what we love to do. Uh, we work with a lot of referral partners, accountants, uh, mortgage brokers, financial planners. Um, and our target client is sort of your small business owner, essentially through to through to corporates that have business insurance needs. Awesome. Thanks, Brent. Sean, Clements, help us understand your business model. Once again, the first time I've ever heard about it and the people in the, in the Facebook community um, have probably not heard you talk about your fee-for-service model. Uh, oh, so I think that might understand have. A bit more. <laughs> oh, look, we're a bit different um, in that we're laser focused on one specific client and why we do we are holistic in that we offer superannuation investment some estate planning things like this it's only to suit that client so 80 percent of our needs at this point are risk uh because our client needs risk uh they're at that age they're at that point in their careers um and we do find that it suits them very well uh to have that sort of strength and our needs will change over the next 5 10 15 years as theirs will but primarily we are fee-for-service. We do offer commissions or fee-for-service and I obviously heavily push fee-for-service because I believe it's in their best interest. Yep, cool. And myself, we do a hybrid model. So we charge a small fee upfront um, and we also get paid a commission. So um, yeah, we kind of do both. So I thought it'd be good for all of us to have a chat just about the fees and and kind of the future and what that looks like with regards to um, risk only advice. Um, and just Sean, just just to clarify, most of your clients at the moment are just risk only. That's the most of your work that you're doing. Uh, most, yeah, about eighty percent. 
Yeah, 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 cool. So it's good to have that kind of a diverse discussion around the different models. Um, so Brett, help us understand kind of your actual end-to-end process and, and how you walk clients through that and, and also how do you go about trying to make sure you're not losing too much money? Um, yeah, so we've got the... Yeah, the advice process is the advice process, but we start out with education and scoping essentially. So having that initial, uh, once the client's been referred, having that initial discussion with them around uh, why, it, why it's important to review their needs, um, you know, both up front, reviews and renewals, so that you've got enough cover. You're not, you know, you're getting good value for the cover as well and you've got a good quality policy that will pay at claim time. Um, part of that education and scoping is just finding out a little bit about the client just to, you know, get that initial, okay, well, what's relevant to you is, you know, life, TBD, trauma, IP, business expense, key person, whatever it is. Um, and then basically getting the client comfortable enough to provide us enough information to um, get the process going. So um, with our small business clients, like their ability to work and, and earn income is, is, their, is their livelihoods for them and their family. So most are invested in that process of protecting that. Um, but during that education and scoping process, it does allow us to, you know, work out if a client is committed or not to the process. And if they're not committed, then obviously they, you know, we, we can't proceed with them. And how much time investment is that initial process um, or the vetting process? Especially over the pandemic, it's an initial phone call. It's usually 20, 30 minutes. It's, you know, when the client's having their lunch or, you know, they've got a break from their business or, you know, their kids are bashing on their door at their home office, um, you know, while they're working from home. So it's usually 20, 30 minutes. Um, it, can, it does stretch out often to, to 60 minutes, but um, it's been building that rapport. So there's rapport there from the initial referral because, um, you know, their, their professional has referred them to us. But it's just working out, you know, what makes them tick and um, and what they're really looking for out of their insurance and why they've come to us for advice. If you can nail that why, then I think you you um, nail that why they're here. Then you know, most people want to invest the time. Yeah, and I guess how do you get a sense of going? Yes, I know these guys are committed to the process. We're happy to invest that time because the likelihood of them going ahead is high. Versus going, let's call it here and let's you know be on our way. Yeah, it, it usually starts. Um, it usually starts with a bit of homework for the client, essentially. So most people are happy to give you information because you're helping them out, you're saving them time, you're de-stressing the process process for them, and you get a sense of where the client's really interested when you give them a bit of homework. So you know, all advisors, we go, can you send us your super statements? Can you, yeah, um, if they're self-employed, yeah, can your accountant send through your financials and things like that? Generally, if they're sending through their super statements and committed to providing financials, then you know they're they're interested. If, yeah, if it yeah. takes them a month to get the super statement back, you know they're just going to waste time and and they're not they don't really care. So yeah, cool. Yeah, and Sean, for yourself, give us a good understanding of your kind of your process and and also um, a rough idea on your pricing and and how you go about doing that, and also just um, discussing that with the clients. So I think um, what Brad said was like a big sort of thing of, you know, if someone's going to send through information, you know, they're invested, right? So our first meeting is at our cost. It's not free. It's at our cost. Uh, Good terminology, (laughs) that one. Um, And then basically we'll have a bit of a chat, figure out where they're going, if there's going to be a fit there, if there's any need for it. And, you know, we'll delve into stuff like, you know, what's your family situation like? Uh, My example will be, are you like most of us where we sit in the middle or is your dad a diabetic smoker who lives in Bali and he's going to require funding in 10 years? Or 
his dad running a $20 million multinational out of Singapore and, you know, has more cash than he can poke a stick at, what, what do you need insurance for? Like, what are you here for? You know, we've had cases like that in the past where I was just like, get out of here. Don't waste, don't waste your money. Um, so that process allows us to sort of figure out where they're sitting, where they're buying and have those uh, outside conversations to figure out what our scope's going to look like before we start. Then the next meeting they're paying for, right? They're not paying as much as they should um, because if we're going to do pre-assessments, we're going to ring each one of their super providers, find out what their eligible service dates are rah, rah, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we're, we're putting a significant amount of work to come to that next meeting with quotes of, you need X insurance for X dollars. This is what it's going to be. And that's um, a strategy paper or a statement of advice? It's an Excel spreadsheet with company A, B, and C, or it's you know more like company P, M, and C or something at the moment. <laughs> um, so... You know, and then we'll be able to say, look, this is what it's going to be. Do you want us to build a statement of advice, give you our intellectual property, then implement that for you? And I'll explain to people like building a house. You go out to a house right now, you're sitting on the block with a stick. Here's where your pool's going to go. Here's where your kitchen's going to go. Are you comfortable with that? Or do you want a second floor or something? Mention it now before I send it off to the architect and get council approval and then get someone to build it but don't get me to do a statement of advice, which is going to cost you a couple of thousand bucks. If you're not planning on building it, you better be comfortable with building it, right? Um, and it allows them to reach that conclusion, get that value uh, before you've invested too much time because we won't start the statement of advice till they've paid half the invoice. Um, so we're not doing work at the hope that they will provide the information that we need. Um, we are sort of billing for it before we start. So we're not burning time uh, too much. I mean, coming up with a few quotes because our, our clients are also similar. We're not reinventing the wheel every time. Yeah, um, yeah we, we know and who our top hitters are going to be. And help us understand how that conversation goes um, with regards to charging a fee for insurance-only advice. Um, well, generally, I'll just say, look, uh, this is how much it is with uh, commissions and without commissions. This is what the difference is. Um you can choose whichever one you want. Uh, obviously, if they're very low, so if someone's coming to me as a 25-year-old who wants 100 grand worth of life, I'll be like, I can't help you. There's no value here for you. But, you know, if you do sort of project that out to some degree, and we have played with calculators, but they got so complex, it was getting ridiculous and it was impossible. It wasn't helping the client to make a decision. It was just providing them with far more information than they could digest. Um so it, it, it's really just down to if you're a you know surgeon who wants a fifty thousand dollar premium, it's a kill. It's so easy. Uh, look, I'm charging you you know five six grand to save you eight. He's like, yeah, no yeah. worries. But if it's someone who wants uh, you know a thirty year old who wants IP for nineteen hundred bucks, and you're like, you know, you break even is ten years away on this. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but they're getting advice for, you know, what they need it for, I suppose. And, and it just doesn't really matter what the premium is. And just separating those two out is the goal and having product and advice being completely separated from one another because they know when the time comes, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you definitely have to hold on to this two million bucks worth of insurance that you may or may not need. Um, and consequently, people say, I quote, way lower. Um, not because of the discount, but because I 
ask them to get less. So most in, most times I've had another advisor that they've tie kicked, they'll say the other advisor recommended far more and how come their premiums are so much higher. I'll be like, they're recommending the same company as I can. I can see what they've used. Um, but I'm not doing the day one accident. I'm not doing the this. You've got a 90-day wait. You've got 50 grand in the bank. Why have you got a 30-day wait? You know, stuff like this. And that's just their best interest coming first every time. Yeah, I mean, so reading th- through the like the the not very discreet lines there, you <laughs> you clearly have an op- opinion um, that the commission is boosting premiums unnecessarily. Is that fair to assume? No, not always. I don't think that's always the case at all. I'd probably, I'd say, at a majority of on balance minority of cases, but it does happen. And when that happens, it really erodes that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just an interesting comment to say that, you know, I, I don't ever, you know, I'm happy for people to reduce their, their level of cover down from 2 million. And you I, know, when I see other people, other advisors, I think numbers, the, it's always more than mine. The only time I'm ever getting a person coming after they've tie kicked somebody else is because they've been uncomfortable with a previous advisor. So yeah, if, and I mean, if they were comfortable, they would have proceeded with that advisor. So obviously, something's gone wrong in their gut, and then they've ended up coming to me and looking around. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, very different discussion, but it's very interesting having that conversation with clients about previous advisors. I had a chat with a client the other day who had accident-only cover, and they just was. Oh, I thought I was on level premiums, but it stepped premiums. The advisor must have just made more money, and I'm just like. They couldn't do level premiums with that insurer, so and they would have made less money. So maybe let's just give that advisor the benefit of the doubt because yeah. you're telling me you got declined from an insurer and that was the only option you had there. So um, let's yeah give the, yeah go easy on yeah. the advisor. I yeah, didn't see the advice. I've got no idea what they are and they could be a shock, but let's just maybe not take it at it face value. Um and. I guess from from my point of view and my business, so what we do is we charge an, an initial um, fee for the for the statement of advice. So I have a fifteen minute phone call at my cost or free, either way we can call it whatever we want. Um, but we do a fifteen minute phone call, and then um, if they do decide to proceed, they pay three hundred and thirty dollars for individuals and four ninety five for couples to go ahead, and that is to produce the SOA. We fully pre-assess everyone. Um, and we know, well, I know full well that if everyone didn't go ahead, we would lose money, but majority of our clients do go ahead. But it also gives me that comfort of if someone doesn't want to go ahead, I'm totally comfortable, you know, on as, as a whole, we make money from our business. So as a whole, I'm comfortable if people walk away or if they proceed. Um, and so that small fee that we charge clients, I feel like is in our benefit because it makes a client feel like we are, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, I will tell them that I want them to get cover because I feel like it's insanely important to get insurance cover. But if they walk away, well, I'm not there getting annoyed that they've wasted my time because at the end of the day, we've, you know, lost a little bit of money, but it's not that much. I think we've got three fundamentally different models in that I'm really low volume. Um, so I'll be doing, I don't know, like eight cases a month or something like that, right? Um, Brett is really well, it sounded like a vetted. So he's not direct to retail. He's not sticking a shingle up online and just having randoms click the button and book appointments. 
because I can get people just, I just get random people booking in all the time. And we do a search on uh, ARPA and if we can't find them, we ask them how they get this number. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's sort of these three fundamental differences in the way that we're sort of approaching that vetting process of getting someone from, are they a real uh, prospect or mm. is this person going to burn our time and money? Mm. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I guess over to you, Brett, just a question about have you thought about charging a fee and, and how did that go? Um, yeah, so we, the first time we, I spent a lot, a lot of time designing a fee for service model and cost it all out and um, had it all detailed and explained nicely in a, in a two pager for the client and did the initial meeting. This is this is when I was still quite green as an advisor. I was a few years in, um, quite green, and you know they were all happy and all that sort of stuff. And I said, right now these are the these are the fees for the services and this and that, um, and it went down like a lead balloon. So um, yeah, chalk it up to uh, the the client. The client basically their reason was was that. Um, I shouldn't have to pay for insurance advice. You know, usually I can get this for free or I can, you know, get quotes from someone or do this or do that and things like that. So that was a mum and dad. Um, they lived down the road from our office and, uh, yeah, they weren't they weren't happy to, to pay a fee. So, okay, yeah. cool. So they were, they were the commission side. Um, we've tried it with um, business insurance as well. So we're doing buy, sell and key person and income protection for a corporate client for three directors. Um they were significantly underinsured. Uh, again, we priced it all out and, and said, hey, we'll, we'll do this fee for service and you'll get a rebate on some comms and things like that. And they preferred they preferred the commission model. So um, similar to the, well, you know, why should we have to pay for this and things like that? And we pieced it out to, um, you know, doing the fact finding, doing the pre-assessments for them because there was health issues there, all that sort of stuff. So, um, and then... You've got with the smaller clients as well, just a capacity to pay issue, just like the physical amount that it costs to provide advice um, for your average Australian. They're not going to be able to afford what it costs to provide advice at the moment. So, yeah, um, I like the idea. Like, I get why you have your three thirty to four ninety five fee. It's a commitment fee, and um, I think it's a lot easier for us as advisors to articulate our value. But at the end of the day, you know, with the cost of advice that it is now, if we said to the average Australian or the clients that we see coming through, the advice is going to be three to five grand minimum based on my cost to serve, plus, 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 they, they're going to walk away and say, well, I'll, I'll go somewhere else and, you know, they'll get a product under general advice that won't meet their needs. They've picked it on the wrong metrics because consumers yeah. focus on the wrong metrics when it comes to life insurance. And, yeah, it, when they claim, they'll get a rude shock, basically. So, yeah. com- completely agree. Yeah, and it was it was interesting, and and I had this similar experience as you were mentioning before the first time we had this conversation. I did didn't hit record, um, but you were saying, <laughs> Sean, that a lot of your clients are new to insurance, and it's the same as us. Like people don't know what to expect. So for me to say, hey, I'm going to charge you a small fee, or I, we don't say small fee because it is significant. Um, we're going to charge you a fee to help prepare this. And if you walk away, there's no other cost. If you go ahead, we get paid a commission. Um, it does make it easier because most of our clients, 99% of them haven't gone through that process before. So it's not free in their mind and they don't think it's free. And so they're not that surprised. But one thing you said um, in our first pre-record 
Brett, was that your referral partners uh, have always had that expectation that you're providing that service pure commission only. Yeah, so it's um so we 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 discussed it with our referral partners and they weren't against a fee for service, but it was adding it was adding unnecessary friction to the part where they felt that their client expectations were that they could get insurance advice. Um, it wasn't cost going to cost them a lot of money up front. Where people that we can trust, um, all the insurers pay the same, so there's no incentive to recommend one over the other. Mm. Um, you know, as advisors, we've got 30 years' experience or 35 this year actually in the industry, and a 100% success rate with claims. And we do all our referral partners' insurance, and they vouch for our service. So they said we'd rather just refer the right clients to you or the genuinely interested clients without having that friction of an awkward conversation plus it's an extra fee on top plus 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 like so that that's sort of how that conversation played out yeah 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 that's really interesting and for yourself sean you're you've got new to insurance clients and so um help us understand they feel a bit more comfortable paying that fee and and i guess the metrics of that break even well it's not it's not so much the fees and look i avoid um referral partners like the plague um because it used to be you'd get a great client you go oh this is sweet and then they'd send you their cousin and this thing and you know he's a smoking guy that goes out on the on the clubbing on the weekend and then they get all antsy at you because that went horribly wrong and you didn't want to pay a fee and it just, you know, so you're better off <laughs> finding laser fishing for these guys that you know are going to fit the model as opposed to trying to square, well, bang square pegs and round holes to keep your referral partners happy. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're basically coming from, you know, Tabula Rasa, the blank slate, right? They, they, they have no idea that it's, they probably heard about commissions before, but if you can tell them, oh, okay, well, there are commissions built into it. And I think it's it's just really the same as the superannuation conversation goes. We can put insurance inside your super. We can charge it with or without commissions if you want. Either way, it's your money. Let's find the best way to spend it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really just going through that sort of process. And we're finding that these specific clients, they don't come in more than once every four years and you're harassing them every year saying, you know, you're paying me. Do you, do you want to have a review? And they're like, ah, let's do it next year. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's great value for you. So, um, that's why we built this model to sort of fit these people is that, um, we can start training them from the beginning and it's a whole lot harder to go back with somebody who, you know, I still have on the books from 10 years ago that was originally on a commission basis, move them to, hey, I'm going to pull um, ongoing commissions off your policies. It's going to save you three grand a year and you're going to pay me, you know, 1300 bucks as an ongoing for it or something. And they'll be like, do I have to pay you 1300 bucks? I'm like, yeah, you already, you're paying me three grand, man. And they're like, yeah. oh, really? You're like, yeah, yeah, it's, I didn't tell you about the last seven years, but, you know, whatever. So um, it's retraining those a lot harder than starting from scratch, if you follow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just to get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty, so I've got some kind of specific fee-for-service and commission-only questions for you guys, but, Brett, do you guys have, like, a minimum premium uh, or commission that you guys aim – well, not aim, but do you have, like, a requirement? Premiums need to be X before we'll – We'll go ahead. Um, it will be in commission only. Um, like my, my beliefs are firmly rooted in uh, that 
life insurance is a pooled product and um, the advice that goes with it to get clients into the pool and review and renew and claim and keep the pool healthy is a pooled product as well. So um, we, it's, it's a bad term, but we take the good with the bad essentially. So effectively, you know, insurance is the pool of many supporting the unlucky. And when it comes to us providing advice, if it's a, if it's a hundred, if it's a one hundred dollar a month premium, well, the the fifteen hundred dollar a month premium helps cross subsidise that advice on a on a yep. you know, on an upfront and ongoing basis, essentially. So, the the pool of commissions that we receive enable us to help the clients that get referred to us, and and we're happy to help them if they're genuinely invested in the process and want our help and want to hold that cover for the reasons that they need to hold that cover. Um, it's the pool of commissions that help us review and renew as well. So, you know, the corporate client that we make more of helps subsidise that review or um, or increase for the for the single mum that can't afford a fee for service to do for us to do yep. that work. And um, and then when it comes to claims as well, uh, an example like we just had a, a two point six million dollar TPD claim paid, and it took a couple of years and. Um, yeah, my dad and I probably invested about 250, 300 hours in it. And, you know, without the pool of commissions, we'd have had to give them a bill for sort of 60 to 90 grand worth of our time. Yeah. That's a huge chunk when they had a massive mortgage and things like that. And if you think about if they didn't have an advisor, they would have had to turn to a lawyer. Um, and most sort of insurance claims lawyers work on a percentage. So, and it's not uncommon to see 30% charge. So if you think about 700,000 disappearing from their $2.6 million payout, they still would have lost their house. They still would have yeah. had to sell it. Um, so it'd still be a bargain though. Yeah, that, that's right. Exactly right. And um, and and I think when you couple, uh, there's, a, there's a big discussion around, you know, oh, if we cut out the commission as an option out of premiums, it'll just make insurance so much more cheaper and people will be able to afford so much more. It's not actually true. Like when you actually look at what, clients have to pay if they try to DIY. Um, they're paying more when they go direct. They're paying significantly more when they try and tailor some cover in their super and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, what an advisor does and the value they provide for the for the commission or the brokerage that they receive is just is just through the roof. Like the value that the consumer receives is monumental. Um, but I'm not a detractor of fee for service and I really like Sean's model because every client has a choice. Um, you know, they see, well, this is what my premium will be over the X amount of years with the projection if I pay Sean by a commission or brokerage. Um, or, you know, if I'm a pure fee for service, I'm the surgeon with the 50 grand premium. Well, I'm just going to do the fee for service because that works better for me. So I, yeah. I, I, I think every client deserves a choice when it comes to commission and fee for service. But just purely for 80 to 90% of Australians, they can't afford the upfront fee and the ongoing fees of what it costs and especially at claim time. So I think we need to make the pool and premiums and advice that goes with it continue to ensure that's affordable for everyone, that not just the top income earners. And that's why I think that every client has a choice. That's if right. I, and I mean, that if, the, if the assumption I, that... Let's just keep talking together, Sean. We'll, <laughs> we'll say it at the same time. You ready? Three, two, one, go. Now you go, Sean. <laughs> I was saying, if, if only someone had developed a system to make it uh, cheap and effective for people to do insurance, so it didn't take us fifteen hours to come up with a hundred k life policy. Uh, I know, I know a system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess that's the kind of point um, with regards to just touching on that that 
increasing that pool, um, the idea that getting rid of commissions will somehow make it cheaper or more affordable is just the assumption that the pool will just continue to grow or, or not decline as quick if they just scrapped commissions. But just touching on that as, as devil's advocate, as you're thinking, how do we grow this pool? Are you then not conflicted? Is, is it a conflict of interest? to not then go, well, I want to grow this pool so with a client who I think needs 1.5 mil, why don't I just go to 2 mil because that just grows the pool. Is there not an inherent conflict of interest? If, if, and, and not because you personally will, will receive more money in commissions but because you're trying to grow that pool, is that a conflict? Broad reaching. Yeah, I think um, we've, we've got the best interest duty so you've got to justify your advice, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'd shudder to think that there are still after, after the reform that we've been through and and things like that. I'd shudder to feel that there still are advisors out there um, trying to do that if they're getting through the the groups of their compliance teams and things like that. Um, the reality is, with the cost of cover as well, um, it's probably the other way around where clients are trying to decrease it more. So, as in taking cover at a lesser amount than what they need to try and manage costs. Um, I'm seeing a lot more clients now that are savvy about what's taken out of their super and things like that. Um, and I think as an industry, we'll probably do a bit better about how insurances are funded through super as well with, with better guardrails and things like that about the levels of premiums that are allowed to be paid from super accounts and things like that. So um, yeah. I've seen some bad advice from other advisors around funding insurances from super and uh, we always make sure that clients are aware but yeah, I, I think, yeah, advisors trying to recommend more than, than what a client needs. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's too possible anymore in today's environment with the compliance and best interest duty and things like that. Like I, I shudder to think it's a common practice, but the trend that we see is this is what we recommend you need based on your goals and objectives or based on the full analysis that we provided and the client's yeah. actually scoping it down because they're yeah. trying to manage their costs. So. Yeah, And for yourself, Sean, just do you have like a minimum premium where you say to clients, look, if your premium is below this much, it's, it's not as viable to be fee-for-service um, versus going to a commission model? Yeah. Uh, look, it's case by case, but, you know, anywhere under 1,000, 1,500, you're sort of really asking the question, you sure you want to do this? You're going to save $200 a year. You're going to spend 20 times that to get this in place. Uh, Are you then declining to offer them advice because it just doesn't? It's not viable for your business to get that. You know, look if they want to make that commission. If they want to make that informed choice, they're welcome to. If you can show affordability, uh, you know, which we always do, um, they've got the cash to pay for it, and they still want it. I mean, it's it does, the premium is ultimately irrelevant. Yeah, sorry, I'm more talking about your. If if they say, "Yep, I'm keen to go with a commission." Model, oh, a commission. Yeah. Would you go oh. through that process, or would you say, "Actually, it's not viable for us, so we're going to have to charge you this minus whatever commission"? Assuming it's in a vacuum, so they're not like friends of a center of influence or something like this, um, yep. then at least three grand premium. As a as a minimum, for yeah. You. So we need to be making at yep. least two thousand, which means we're going to be making another, you know, thousand. You know, it's going to take us four years to break even. Yeah, cool. Yeah. A question I've got for both models is, you know, is either model hundred percent commission, hundred percent fee for service viable for a new startup business? 
it depends where your business your business is coming from. Yeah, depends. If if you're if you're a new advisor fresh out of uni, you know, targeting you know people that just finished their apprenticeship or um, yeah, young mums and dads yeah, no and things way. like that. No, it's it's not. Yeah. So it's not going to play. I think um, as in you don't think either model can play. No. You don't think you can do risk only at all. I mean, even even if you're a pure comms risk only, you'd still be absolutely getting smashed getting anyway. Smashed, you wouldn't yeah. cover costs. Like, yeah, when I first started advising, you know, 15 years ago, my, my first clients were, you know, my mates finishing their apprenticeship, my mates buying a house, my mates starting a business or, you know, whatever it was. And they came, they didn't have any kids. You know, they were lucky to be engaged if that. And, you know, they, they needed some IP and they wanted some trauma. Um, oh, I've got something automatically around life and TPD in my suit, but don't worry about looking at that. And, you know, we could do a 70 80 $90 a month premium and, you know, break even knowing that that client's needs are going to grow and will, you know, their advice needs will grow and they'll, and our, and they'll grow with our business essentially over time. Um, if you just look at it now, the way, you know, it's, it's virtually impossible to help, you know, the average premium payer stay compliant and, and, you know, break even, let alone make a dollar all at the same time now. Um, And it's not so much the dollar amount and going, okay, well, I'm losing money up front and I'll make it up over time. It's the compliance risk that goes with it and the time investment in audits and things like that and picking up things and all that sort of stuff. Like advising to have the most robust compliance process going, but at the end of the day, the auditors still find stuff. So... Um, yeah, so and Brett, do you think it's fair to assume you've got a commission-only business model because you've got an established business? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I think it's too hard yeah. for new entrants to just purely come in and and say, I'm going to start a risk-advice-only business now, being commissioned or fee-for-service. I think, um, yeah, yeah. That, and I think that's why we're – I believe that's why we're, we're not seeing the inflows of new risk advisors as experienced risk advisors are leaving the market. So, mm. and coming back around to that, that's one of the things you know for me that's been really hard to price is that ongoing liability that the policy degrades. You know, something like this happens over time because you're not getting paid to maintain a policy. You're not reviewing somebody because they don't want to pay a fee, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are going to you know get five, ten years down the track. So, how do you price that up front if you're only you know doing it once? I mean. There's a theoretical limit to how far you can push that. Um, you can't say, oh, well, it'll be $15,000 worth of work and they have three meetings. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Even though you might have earned twenty five grand worth of comms over that period of time, you can't build that up front. Um, it's not going to – it's a leap of And so you're just, you're just wearing that risk? Well, it's, it's, as part, it's as much as part of we – so one of the big things of running this, and, you know, it's my 25th year in um, uh, advising now, um, you know, I'm second gen, work with dad, it's all small businesses. People come out, they get their mates online, they get a few referral sources, you end up with all these risk, risk clients from all kinds of, you know, walks of life, then you end up with super, then you end up with retirement planning, and you have this just leviathan of a business that requires more staff, the more clients to fund the more staff and round and round and round it goes and you end up with this beast uh, where admin required is really big and you feel the need and I always find the need, I don't know if it's a middle-class guilt thing or something, but um, if I'm getting paid to provide value for that. Um, so 
when I'm looking at a $3,000 premium walk in the door and nobody wants a review for it, then I'm like, well, what are you doing? Where's your value? And it's a risk commission. There's no reason that I'm you know, legally required to look after that. But wouldn't it be better for me to say, look, I'm doing nothing for this. I have no responsibility for this mm. other than the point in time I wrote the risk. And I don't have to worry about it. So I'm not spinning my wheels trying to prove value to these clients that don't care and don't want it. Yeah, um, so you're de-risking by just charging that one-off fee and if there's no fee ever again, well, then you can't be liable for any ongoing concern other than the initial advice. That's a theory. That's a theory, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's sort of where I was getting to before on the compliance front as well and, is, and the cost up front. If you're a new advisor as well trying to get started, and, you know, you can take a take a leap, take a risk and especially in commission only and go, right, I'm going to write up 100 clients this year um, or, you know, 50 clients this year, however many it is. And then you get two or three down, two or three years down the track and the current environment and the market basically with premium fluctuations and things like that, you, you're then forced to go and revisit all of those clients because they're getting letters saying, hey, your premium's going up for 20%, mm-hmm. your premium's going up by 30% and you're getting this, capacity bind essentially where um, no longer can you not afford to see new clients. The existing clients are actually costing you money now because the the advice that you gave two or three years ago with the market fluctuations isn't relevant anymore and you've got to redo it. Mm-hmm. And that constant best interest duty cycle um, and the time that it's taking to do everything is just put everybody in a bind essentially. So, um, And so I've got a few quick fire questions about your business and just a little bit nitty gritty on like, so for Sean, how do you charge for those reviews? Do you have a set price that will review or is it exactly the same as your new business? Uh, Start with a small meeting and then charge, you know, based on complexity. uh, They're like tiers with bands because we're not going in um, dry again. So we already know who the client is. So we can't provide general advice because we know who they are. It has to be personal advice. So you might consider it, let's say the SOA is two grand and the um, implementation is two grand. In a a lot of cases, producing the SOA is relatively cheap because we're just filling in gaps in the fact find. We're not, you know, going through health questions. We're just updating all that sort of stuff. So we know a lot of it. You probably spend about half as much, um, generally speaking. And we have a tiered system now that we rolled out at the start of the year that essentially says you've got tier one, two or three advice. You start at the bottom of the tier and if it goes over, so we work to hit the bottom. Um, If you, for some reason, end up going off the rails, we'll let you know. Similar to like a car service. A car service is going to be 600 bucks, but we come in and find out your transmission is is about to explode. You know, we'll call you up and say, hey, you know, this this needs extra work. Um, We can only come up to the top of that tier. Yeah, yeah. And for yourself, Brett, how often are you doing those reviews with the clients? Um, in our business, um, every client gets a review offer each year. Um, every client gets a comparison just to know where they sit. Um, so, um, and then every client, we're always here. It's everything in between. So we get calls and calls and calls. You know, tax time. Oh, can I get my tax statement? Oh, it's not ready yet. It'll be another thirty days. You know, things like that. Oh, yeah. What's coming out of my super? Or I've changed my super account. My rollovers failed. Um, yeah. I, my kid's turning 18. I want to convert their child trauma to an adult policy, all, all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so in terms of in terms of what we do for our commission is, yeah, a review every year and everything in between. And then we're there 100% for claims as well. Yeah. 
And touching on claims, how are you pricing claims, Sean? Case by case. I mean, we have specified injury benefits that go a week into a PPS policy last year, went bike riding and cracked his forearms, both of them. Um, like, cool. Okay. Well, you know, his, um, I think it was like nine grand is a month and a half, so six weeks worth. And he went, cool, awesome. And he's back at work and wasn't a problem. But that was literally signed one thing off. And then, yeah. you know, we've had claims lasting a couple of years that, you know, that was commission based at the time. Um, you know, I probably should have been billing up that 20, 30 grand for that, but we hadn't developed that model at that time. And it also depends on financial planning benefits as well. I mean, um, you know, you're getting anywhere between two and 10 grand for that sort of stuff. It's going to subsidize a lot. I will say to people, if you're not meeting your mortgage payments and we've got a claim that is a bit of a maybe, I am not a monster. I'm not going to send you a bill for a 20 grand you know, uh, a claim if it was unsuccessful. Yeah, and yeah. specifically with IP, that's a big risk because there's no lump sum there. There's probably not going to be any additional cash flow. You know, um, where do we go from there? It's a bit of a, we don't know. The client book is not mature enough that we're getting a lot of claims at this point. Um, yeah. So it's not a problem I've had to deal with or subsidize, but it will. And if we train them well to start with, then we've got them to that point of you pay for the work you use. Uh, it's not going to be a blind side of, oh, I thought you got paid by the insurer. You know, so, no, you yeah. pay me, man. So, um. yeah, in terms of what we do, yeah, we're, we're similar. Our, our client base is quite young um, and, and fairly new policies. So we've had a few claims that we haven't charged yet, but when we get asked about or what, what are we going to be charged for claims, and I just say to people, Look, we'll get to a certain point on a claim and if we feel like it's going to take us a significant amount of time, like you said, Brett, 300 hours, well, we'll have to bill for that. Um, but we're just, we, you know, I feel like I'm reasonable and it's a bit of swings and roundabouts. Um, if you've been, held the policy for a month um, and it was a $1,500 premium and it's a 100-hour claims process, I'm going to charge you for that. And because and we do that hybrid model where clients aren't, they're, they're used to paying me something. It's not the cost of full advice, but they've paid me something. Um, I feel like we can have that conversation with our clients at that point in time if, if and when we need to. But we haven't yet. We've had you know multiple claims in the last 12 months. Hmm. And so um, how do you guys go managing like small adjustments, like little little increases here? Hey, got a 10 grand you know, pay rise. Um, yeah, how are you doing that, Brett? Are you kind of qualifying that at all or it's just a cost of doing business? Um, it's a, it's a cost of doing business. Um, so as again, yeah, all encompassing with the, with the pool of commissions. Um, I'm smiling and I don't know if you saw ASIC's definition of what a significant change is or not, uh, last year. So, um, I'm not, not being critical of the paper in, but it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's quite great. So getting back to, you know, do you, do you point your finger in the air? Like what is a significant change? And um, so I think where a lot of advisors are having issues with ongoing service is that because it's costing so much to help the client up front now um, and then if you do a review, it takes a lot of manual time and processing to do that review as well at a renewal and then you're hoping and praying the client doesn't have a significant change because then that puts you in the loss-making cycle again that yeah. average client of 10 to 15 hours losing money and and things like that. So I, I think it's a real 
issue. Um, you know, I think as an industry, we need to uh, be more adept to client-directed advice and alterations and things like that and not so compliance-focused on that, you know, because at the end of the day, it's just not as simple as, oh, there's a cheaper premium out there, let's try and move or, and things like that. You know, you've got the medical underwriting risks, you've got the financial underwriting risks. Um, yeah, there's a whole list of things that can go wrong during an underwriting process and I think we need to be a bit more sensible around significant changes and enabling clients more easily, be able to more easily um request and facilitate client-directed changes and things like that without the advisor risking getting hauled over the coals, essentially. And also an improvement in the processes from insurers. Yeah. Like it's it's insane. It's so much easier to write new business than it is to just have a $10,000 increase on your IP. Like yeah. it's it's crazy how difficult that whole end-to-end -end process is. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do it, Sean? Just Here's your invoice. Um, Here's your five grand. Thank you. <laughs> so um, we future-proof as best as we can. So things like writing life cover where it's not currently needed. I hope compliance isn't listening to this, but, uh, you know, it's essentially, yeah, I know they do. Um, I, for example, I wrote one today. They got 190K worth of trauma and 1.6 worth of TPD. No dependence, right? Doesn't need life cover. But if you attach 190 grand worth of life cover to the uh, trauma, it's 60 bucks a year cheaper. Yeah. So they're going, well, I don't need life cover. And I'm like, it's cheaper. And you now have newly qualified professionals attached to life cover. You can bump that up by 50%. So GFI allows you to go through a lot of that stuff. So forward forecasting, okay, well, you can pay me five grand or you can carry 120 bucks a year worth of life cover that you don't need. If it's likely you might need it in anywhere a couple of years, maybe three years, is that going to be beneficial to you? Uh, and usually, you know, you can draw that line. Yeah, it does work out better. I don't want to rewrite the whole thing. Um, GFI is lowest pricing. Uh, anything above is SOA territory. And then you're, you know, moving up to, you know, full adding of a new benefit as opposed to modifying uh, existing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, adding child cover for a second kid that hits two years old is is, is bloody SOA. You know, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say that it's yeah, it's interesting. Triggers. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's crazy. It's um, I think yeah, as far as GFI goes, and so uh, yeah, I, I think as an industry, we need to do a better job at marketing that as well, and sort of explaining those benefits to the clients at renewal, and you know, have things changed? Did you know? you know, divorce, marriage, new home loan, whatever, you can do this and this to your cover without having to go through underwriting, without having to go through this. And Yeah. yeah. And the way, I mean, the way we manage it is, um, and 100%, one of the main reasons I'm 100% risk-focused is because it means I can build in that process into my business where you've got a small increase. Okay, we know what to do. Now, you know, my team listening now are going to laugh at me because we don't have that end-to-end -end process nailed down, but that's our 2022 goal is to go, this is exactly what we need to do. Um, and so it's it's about being an expert and, and just dialing into that one thing that, that helps me go, all right, I know that we can do that. And it's not a massive loss-making exercise as, as it may be for most people. And so in terms of looking forward, so... Brett, you and me, we've got a huge legislative risk on our in our business. 
Um, Sean, you've kind of you know safeguarded yourself a little bit from from that legislative risk of commissions. Um, what are your thoughts if they scrap commissions tomorrow, Brett? How how is that going to impact you? Um, I think I might look at mortgage broking. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to. Yeah, you know, I, I think there'll be a lot more. Um, I think there'll be a lot more. Uh, thought that goes into it from the government around around commissions. Um, I think as an industry, we've got a little bit further to go on educating around the value of commissions and how and why they keep the pool um, sustainable and why that would be a bad idea. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I do feel I do feel the government is is getting educated on these issues that we have been talking about for the last couple of years, um, especially since LAF came in into place and but I just think you know the the economics of, of the life insurance pool is is pretty simple there's a reason why um, you know 70% of all new premiums written through advisors it's you know because Australians are apathetic um, life insurance you know they don't get out of bed thinking oh, I'm going to get hit by a car today or need to go mm. on claim so it's not high on their priority when I say apathy it's not disrespectful it's just not high on their priority list for, for what they've got to yeah. do um, life insurance is an inherently you know, sort of, even though it covers four or five things, it's an inherently uh, complex beast, essentially. So they need that help and support to guide them through. Um, and and then basically, if if that help and support to guide them through to get them into the pool, to keep them into in the pool, and and help deliver on that trust within the pool at claim time, if the if the economics of the advice business isn't viable, well, you're just going to see more and more advisors walk away and and do something else, essentially. Yeah. Um, like, a, like I think, as, as I mentioned before, you know, fee-for-service and commission, um, they're both models and they both work, but they work for different people for different reasons. So, you need to ensure choice. So, yeah. yeah. And for, you, for yourself, Sean, even though you may not have that commission risk in your business, I guess the, the downside of your business model and anyone out there looking to do a fee-for-service model is is the sustainability of your business. And so how do you think about making sure that your business model is sustainable so you're around for another five, 10 years, as long as well, as long as you want to be around for? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, for the first uh, first part is if I don't work, I don't get paid like most Australians. Um, and the second one is my business valuation is like nothing <laughs> because it's, if it's a recurring, if it's a multiple of recurring, then... Uh, doesn't look great using that system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those two things means, well, one, I can't sell out of it because it's, you know, I get like 80 bucks or something like that and pat on the back. <laughs> um, and the other one is, yeah, I mean, it, what does it actually look like? So if I'm pricing now, uh, I don't know what my costs are going to be over the next year or two. And, and over the last three years, that's been a significant problem is, you know, we said, oh, well, you know, it's cost us about this much. So we reprice it. Then we realized it was costing us 50% more time than we thought it was. One thing that we originally did was say, oh, well, as part of a fee for service, you get the next 12 months worth of ongoing service built in and we'll do a review at the end of year one. Oh, that was a big mistake. Um, yeah. You're finding yourself doing an ROA or SOA, which we didn't have ROAs when we made that promise. Then they find out we're going to produce an advice document for you know one third of our book or something like this within uh, twelve months, and you're burning all your time doing that for free. So yeah, um, yeah it's it's really hard to forward forecast what that's going to be, uh, and you can't by its very nature put that much meat in it because you're 
uh, pricing yourself out. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we've got a fresh, young, new advisor. She wants to start her own business and she's passionate about insurance only advice. What would you say, Brett? Are you sure? As in, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, as in, um, not are you sure, as in, do you want to get into risk advice? It's a very rewarding career, as in, are you sure there's anyone there um, wanting to do that? Uh, as far as um, fresh young advisor wanting to start the risk only business, I would align yourself to uh, financial planners who don't have an appetite for doing risk advice. Um, that, that's where I'd start straight up because uh, financial planners, the the growing cohort of them that don't want to provide risk advice because it's too complex, it's too hard, it's a distraction, they, you can't make any money out of it. Um, I think if you're a new advisor specialising in the risk space, you can add a lot of value to their businesses. They've got a best interest duty to consider broader effects and things like that. And if you can show that you're competent and, and know your stuff, that, that would be the best place to start. Yeah. And you, What about you, Sean? What's your advice? Look, honestly, I think um, a risk specialist is just out of uni is a unicorn. Like, I mean, we all know how many different product series is, and one of the biggest parts of our job is knowing how to field underwrite, knowing how to uh, get the right person to talk to, um, you know, so you can actually have a reasonable conversation as opposed to dealing with one of the drones in Sector 7G. So... You know, if without those connections and without that depth of experience, um, you're essentially entering into a machine and off you go. Where's the specialty? Um, it's very difficult. So it's obviously the phasier stuff that's coming through and doing all this is killing all that experience. And rightly or wrongly, there's always two camps of, you know, should they or shouldn't they? But that, you know, is what makes us specialist advisors. That's what makes you, you know, able to say off the cuff, this will work, this won't, um, not, oh, well, this machine says this. I mean, how are you going to do that to start off with? How are you going to then prove that value to your uh, referral relationships? I mean, honestly, I think the idea of, uh, you know, risk is dead and it's impossible to make money out of it unless you've got that critical mass already at this point in the industry, I think you're stuffed. Just go down yeah, and right. do, do superannuation, cheapest chips like everyone else. All right, my my advice is completely different to you, old Grumps. Uh, I think I think there's heaps of scope for growth in the risk only space. Like I would tell that new advisor that exactly it's similar to what you said, Brett. Partner with advisors who are getting out because so many advisors are getting out in droves, and and there isn't that replacement at the mm. moment, and it's and there isn't going to be that replacement for a while. So I think they're in the best place to kind of jump in there and go, you don't want to do risk? Well, I'll do risk for your clients and, and let's let's build this together. So I think, I actually think that's, I mean, I'm biased. Yeah. That's what I do. But like, I think that is the best place for a new advisor to, to get stuck into if they want to start their own business or, or um, look at, okay, where do they fit in the market? Everyone's getting out of it. Yes, it's harder to do business. It's harder to make money. But if everyone's out of it and, the need for advice is still there and that's only ever growing the need for insurance advice, then jump straight in. Um, I think it's, yeah, the future is very rosy in my eyes. Yeah, well, if there's um, if there's any any of those advisors out there, please reach out to me. So, um, Oh, I'm hiring as well, mate. So don't, yeah. don't you be taking any potential <laughs> candidates away from me. <laughs> 
I can't afford to hire anyone right now. So <laughs> <laughs> you're right. There, is, there is not that many. Yeah, yeah, what, um, you, what you say, Phil, is 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 right. It's um, there's plenty of advisors out there eager to mentor, eager to, eager to hire, eager to bring the next generation through. You're at a disadvantage if you still need to do your professional year because advisors are struggling mm-hmm. to keep their head above water at the moment anyway. Um, so I think the real sweet spot is if you if you've been if you've done your professional year or your professional year exempt and you're thinking about starting your own business, go go find a good advice business that that you can mentor yourself under a good risk advisor, um, and then yeah, the market for risk advisors is only going to become hotter. It's already at mm. boiling point, um, and you'll do very well contracting, working with, partnering, whatever you want to call it, with with other financial advice firms that don't want to do risk anymore. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, I could geek out around about this for many, many hours. But last question for you each, when do you get time to do your emails? <laughs> do you have a set time during the day? Do you do it at the end of the day? When do you do you answer emails? Do you want to go, Sean? Or? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, as they come in. And I've got a watch now because we started wearing masks in WA like about two weeks ago and it's really inconvenient. I don't know if you know. <laughs> but, uh, it means you can unlock your phone without having to look, without having to put the number in. So, yeah, you can do them on your watch. It's really cool. Um. <laughs> Go, Brad. When do you get time to do your emails? Um, so, I flick through them first thing in the morning at the office. Um, usually, have a check in sort of mid morning, sort of 10 30, 11. And then, um, middle of the day, I just try and ignore them basically. And then I'll do a quick skim to see if there's anything urgent that I need to be thinking about ready for tomorrow at the end of the day and um, and outsource as well. So I have someone look at my invo- inbox and tell me if it's important or not. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. Um, cool beans, guys. Really appreciate your time. Sean, if anyone's heard your stuff and said, yeah, I love this FIFA service model, how do they reach out and connect with you? Um, maybe jump on my risk advisor. I'm always hanging around Facebook, harassing people uh, in one way or another. <laughs> yeah, some say some people say you hang around like a bad smell. Not me, um, but some people do. Uh, Grant, what about yourself? If people are, are looking for a job, um, how do they connect with you? Uh, just LinkedIn. Uh, link. Yeah, I, I don't really go on Facebook too much. Um, LinkedIn is my platform of choice. I love it. So yeah, awesome. Appreciate your time, guys. All right, thanks, thanks Phil. Steve. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.